This is the Scots Bass Lessons Podcast and I am your host, Scott Devine. This podcast is brought to you by the Scots Bass Lessons Academy, the number one online learning platform for bass players that want to take their bass playing to the next level. Hey guys, how's it going? Scott here from scottsbasslessons.com and I am back with episode 11 of the Scots Bass Lessons Podcast. Now I'm really over the moon today because we've got Rufus Philpot with us today for today's guest and I've known Rufus for a long time. In fact, the first time I heard about him, which was over 15 years ago, was from my old friend Chris May, the man behind Overwater Bases. Then he simply said, have you heard of Rufus? Well, you need to check him out. And when I did check him out, I was absolutely blown away. He's been a first call bass player. Well, when he was originally over here in the UK, he was a first call bass player. And now over in the States, but he's lived in the States for, I think, over 10 years, originally in New York, and then now he's residing in Los Angeles. But this, it's really great, this podcast, because not only do you hear about his his story, about how he ended up such a popular player over here in the UK, playing on the scene, but then how he moved to New York and, and that experience over there, and then over to LA and the experience there. So it's just... It's really great, and I think he 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 really shares some key information about his experience as well when he was learning and when he was coming up through the ranks. It's just I really enjoyed this interview. I'm, I'm sure you'll actually hear that when you when you listen to it. Now, if you haven't heard of Rufus before, he's recorded with artists such as Alan Holsworth, the amazing Alan Holsworth from from well originally from Bradford, which is about seven or eight miles from where I'm sitting right now, but he lives over in LA now. Um, Jeff Globe, Alan, uh, Aldi Miola, Scott Henderson, Scott Kinsey, Kurt Covington, Tony McAlpin, the great drummer Gary Novak, John Abercrombie, Adam Nussbaum, David Gilmore, Reggie Washington. So I assume you get the idea. He's recorded and played with some amazing musicians. Now, if you're listening to this anywhere else other than scottsbaselessons.com, make sure you shoot over to the website because you need to check out the show notes for this episode. I've put some fantastic videos of Rufus up there for you to check out, and it'll save you hunting around on YouTube. So you just go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode 11 to get those show notes. It's scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode 11. And if you're listening to this on iTunes as well, remember to leave a, well, first of all, remember to subscribe but then leave a review as well because it helps get the word out about these interviews and what we're working on here at scottsbasslessons.com. And if you are completely new to scottsbasslessons.com, make sure you shoot over to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit because there's lots of juicy stuff for you to download totally for free. And also remember, if you're an Academy member, you can watch the entire video version of this podcast as well. So you can actually see the bases when he's playing his bases and all that type of thing. And if you're not an Academy member yet, go over and check it out at scottsbasslessons.com. In a nutshell, it's the best online learning platform for bass players in the world. The step-by-step courses, live streamed seminars every week with some of the best bass educators around the world, the largest online bass educational community in the world, and absolutely tons more. It's the whole nine yards. And on top of that, we've got a 14-day free trial as well, so you can take it for a test drive just to see it's for you uh, without any risk. Now, without further ado, let's get into episode 11 with the mighty Rufus Philpot. Hey guys, how's it going? So I am happy to be here with the amazing Rufus Philpot. We're in 
Hello. Sunny LA, we're here in LA and soaking up the sun and Rufus has been kind enough to invite us to his pad and we're just going to be talking about bass, that's what we're all here for and Rufus, I've got to tell you, I've been checking your stuff out and listening to you for years. Oh, and I wow, said, okay. I said earlier that I He told me you. a week earlier, so... This yeah, 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 no, it was, like ten, it was ten days, it was ten days. Now the first time I heard you was playing with Dave O'Higgins... Oh, okay, with, yeah. With Mike, the great Mike Bradley. Mike Bradley and Graham Harvey, right? Yeah, piano, yeah, probably. yeah. Where, where, the Jazz Cafe? No, or? on radio. On, oh, on, I remember, yeah, we did a session for BBC Radio. I remember that, oh, yeah. Well, I've still yeah. got that on cassette. Really? That's like a plastic thing with holes in it, if you haven't seen it. You've me. got to send me a copy of that. If you can oh, yeah, 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 no, we'll honestly, do. Honestly, yeah, I remember yeah. we did a... Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we did a single All That Way and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do because that, that had like a long drum solo and we just had to keep yeah, like, yeah, this band yeah, yeah, going yeah. on. I remember it was like, yeah. That, like yeah. A, that was the first time I heard you. And then since then, I obviously, you know, I just sort of like got hip to what you were doing and just like followed you and, and did that whole thing, right? But, re, you know, if we rewind from there, because obviously, if you haven't heard Dave O'Higgins, he's a fantastic sax player and that was a really great band. That was a good band. It was yeah, a good yeah, band, it yeah. Was, yeah. Rewind that to when you were, you know, younger and crap, because we were all crap at uh, one point. I was never I was always great. I just picked <laughs> <laughs> You know, how did you get into how did you get into it? Um, you know, I actually started on saxophone, on, on alto oh, okay. sax. And um true story, and I went to a music school, but I was on an academic scholarship because, you know, we were kind of poor growing up. And uh so I got into a really good school, but um, we, we couldn't really afford music lessons that much. Yeah. So I got this saxophone, but then I'd only get a few lessons at a time. And I remember I was in the junior school, I was about 10, and I wanted to play tenor sax, but I was too small. So we got an alto, right? Yeah. And, and, and I remember the practice room was next to the staff room, and the staff used to come in and bribe me to stop playing. <laughs> they actually asked me, they'd really yeah, give me a yeah, pound yeah, 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 if yeah. you could stop, you know. So it didn't do much for my self-confidence, you know. Uh, and, uh, and I, I just, I never had an aptitude for it. You know, like there's some instruments that seem alien, you know, like yeah, in terms yeah, of, yeah. And, and it just wasn't to be, even though I love the sax. So I remember I was crossing the, um, the school concert hall to get to the science labs and the rock band had been rehearsing and they left a bass on the stage, like just lying there. And it was a yeah. candy apple red. It wasn't, it might be like a Gibson bass, like an EB or whatever, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just remember plucking the strings and that metallic, you know, just the dirt and the thickness. It, it really, it was completely captivating. And uh, and literally the next day, I, I called my mum and I said, I don't want to play sax anymore. I, I'm going to be a bass player. This, no, that, this was it. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and my sax teacher was... How old were you? I was 13, actually, at that point. Yeah. I just, and my sax teacher was really disappointed because he, he was like old wartime kind of guy, you know, and he was like, oh, you're going to play... With a bass. And I went, oh, a bass guitar. And he went, it's not even a real instrument. You know, and he, he really was pissed off, you know. So that was it. I was yeah, determined, yeah, yeah. you know. So honestly, it came very easy. And I had one or two lessons with one of the guys who was an organ, like a, you know, a classical, like, you know, church organ stuff. And, yeah. but he played bass guitar and, and, and I kind of picked up that. And then I was sort of was going to do an English degree at Oxford University. And, and then, by that stage, I went to the interview and I completely screwed the interview up because I just didn't give a I didn't give a damn about that. You know, right, okay, I just yeah, wanted yeah. to play the bass. And I, and I ended were you up, torn between the two at the time? You know, no. Honestly, by the time I was eighteen, the thought of sitting in a in a classroom and listening to some 
girl in a floral, you know, a paisley shirt talk about Wuthering Heights and how, you know, about Nellie Dean and Heathcliff I, and, and Kathy. I was like, that was the idea of like jumping off a building was preferable. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah, yeah. So I was like, no, I, even though all my teachers definitely were trying to pressure me towards academia, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think I'd, I'd been to see a few local bands play you know i remember going to see dill Katz, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah actually went who was ended up being my teacher at the guildhall school and i saw dill with paraphernalia i think that yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. and and, you know he was playing that fretless it was like a sort of jazz bass modified for it right and i I, and he had that great sound and i was just sort of completely transfixed by it you know and i was lucky enough to stumble on some vinyl records when i was like 13 i bought i think i got heavy weather and I got Paco de Lucia live one summer's night with Carlos Benavent. Yeah, which is Carlos Benavent. Uh, if yeah, anyone, yeah. that one summer, live one summer's night, Paco de Lucia. That's a kick-ass it's, album, yeah, right? It's, the bass playing on yeah, that yeah, is yeah, stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that and the Bruford yeah, stuff. Yeah, he was playing you know, fretless. Yeah, fretless. Yeah, yeah, and he had that like semi-acoustic one. And he played with a pick. Yeah. His, and, and he had the octave divider on that solo. Yeah, yeah, he does yeah, 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 the delay yeah, yeah. pedal. He's on. awesome, man. I listen to him. Under, just such a genius, you know. And then I got into... Uh, Percy Jones with Brand X. We were, we were right? talking about him earlier, actually, Just, with Phil Collins. Really? And, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And we were literally talking about him. And there's that ago. track on product with Mike Clark, too, from yeah, Headhunters. Yeah, that yeah, one, yeah, you know, yeah. Not Good Enough, See Me. Remember that one? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I got into all of that. And then, um, you know, I started practicing some classical stuff because I had access to all the classical teachers. And even though... Is this when you were still in school? Yeah, I was still yeah. at Wells, Wells Cathedral School. was yeah. the school. And, and I had a base teacher called Bill Ockleshaw. And Bill was actually ended up being one of the major contractors for the for the West End theatre stuff. Oh, right, okay. So Bill was actually, I have to say, you know, even though he's not, you know, he's not known as a bass teacher or anything like that, he was a great listener. And he, he really was. Like, it was one of the things a teacher can do for you is actually to listen and give you encouragement, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Not kind of say you... Bill never tried to tell me to play anything. He, I'd go in and play him some cello suites, so I was working on Teen Town, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and he would just listen, and he just goes, great. He goes, this is what you've got to and do. that's what you needed. Yeah, time, he, he yeah. literally yeah. was yeah, just, because yeah. he's just what you've got to do, you yeah. know. And, and he goes, I'm not even going to try and make you learn acoustic bass. He goes, you clearly, this is your path, you know. Yeah, and he yeah, really, yeah. He got it, you know. Um, and then I went, I got a scholarship to Newcastle. School, uh, really? music, yeah, right, okay, yeah. I, I was, I looked at Leeds, right? Yeah, and oh, I mean, yeah, because they just, I yeah. don't think they had a major in bass guitar. I was gonna then, say, yeah, right? this had just come out, you know, yeah. these the electric bass was not new, but but yeah, because I'm know. 67 years old, so this was in 1962, <laughs> yeah. uh, but like music degree, like, yeah, with electric it, bass, it was, was it called pop? Um, mine was popular called popular music, or uh, like, mine was called god, it was something weird, like, it was like, something. I can't remember the name. It's the name. It was j- uh, light it, music. Like yes, that's that to- yeah, yeah, one yeah. awful name, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. sort of Burr Baccarat, but lighter. In light yeah. music. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> and, like a veiled and, insult. And leads were one. really weird. They they didn't really. I don't. I don't think they even offered a full degree at that point. There was something that maybe not a light degree. Yeah, it was <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, the the low calorie, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. diploma. And then yeah. and I went to Newcastle and. There was something about just it seemed much more like they were a little bit more ahead, you know, okay, a bit yeah, more progressive. Yeah. And and I um I got in and the bass teacher bass teacher's name was 
I don't even want to say this, but he was this funny guy and this big, big mullet. And, and he used to, it was a group class of eight of us. And he used to just ritualistically go through and humiliate each of us in turn oh, in the yeah. lesson. So he'd like have Fantastic. this really fast scale, <laughs> just like what Scott and I like yeah, to do yeah, now, yeah, yeah. you know. So, <laughs> so it just, it, it, but really, I mean, it, it's honestly, it was the most weird thing. He would go through each student and make you just mess up because yeah. he'd have you play something fast and difficult that you'd, that yeah, you could no, he, yeah. it was, it was, and then he'd play at you really aggressively and go, you can't do this, and he'd play it, and you're like, well, no, because I didn't practice it, yeah, you know, yeah, he yeah, just yeah. showed me it, you know. Yeah. And half the class literally dropped out by the end of the first term because he was so unpleasant, <laughs> you know. I'm not, it really was like <laughs> yeah. bizarre, you know, but with me, it was almost the opposite effect because it, it was sort of, it made me feel like I would never let someone do that to me ever again. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so sure, by, sure, by, sure. by literally within a year, I, I, my playing had gone way up because I was practicing four to six hours a day. I was literally playing from the moment I got into school and had any time off the classroom stuff. I was in a practice room yeah. or I was playing with other musicians. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then I, I'd been down because I got a wall bass was my first really yeah, right, proper yeah, yeah, bass, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and um, fish. Yeah, and and I and, and when Ian was still alive, Ian Waller, my mum yeah. took me down to the High Wycombe to Cherborough Works, the original factory, right? Yeah, and and I'd seen Jonas Helborg play the double neck, you know, the one with the you know, yeah, yeah, heavier and, than the sun, yeah, just the yeah. map, but beautiful. Right? It was solid yeah. walnut, right? Yeah, and it, um, Jonas played with uh, John McLaughlin. There's a great John McLaughlin album just called Mahavishnu, like with a black cover, yeah, that yeah. one, right? And I saw that band at yeah. the Hammersmith Odeon. Yeah. Oh, really? And I took yeah. the bus up from boarding school to, all the way up on my own, like stranded. I didn't have anywhere to stay. I just, <laughs> just went up there and screw <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. And, and it was, and Jonas played Little Wing, and then he did the slap thing. And yeah, I, yeah. I mean, to see that, like, oh, kid well, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like mind boggling, yeah. you know, and I'd seen Weather Report the week before, too. Right. So, okay, yeah. So Who was playing with Weather Report? It was Victor time. and Omar, and it was right, the procession right. tour. Like it was, they were at Glastonbury at the you know CND festival, and I was like ten feet from Victor Bailey. Yeah, and he broke a string. He broke his G string wow. during the gig, and he missed the ending of a tune. Like I guess it threw him off. And there was one. I remember at the end, there was whatever the ending was, and it was like bop bop, and it was like bop bop bop, and he hit this, <laughs> and Zawinul just gave him the look, and yeah, and I was like. Yeah. Ooh, that wasn't good, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was, yeah. it was, but it was great to see. You know, like, like Victor was 21, 22. Was a kid. Yeah. Wow. wow. Uh, anyway, wow. so, so I'd seen Helborg's bass, and uh, so I, I remember there was a, a bass player event. You know, like bass, bass center. You know, one of those. You know, yeah, get yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Joe was there too. Joe Hubbard, I think. And Joe was actually wearing a pink velour uh, leisure suit or oh, leisure fantastic. suit, and That's Joe will deny that. Thing. Yeah. But Joe was wearing a pink <laughs> suit, a pink, you know, yeah, and, and true story, and, and playing a, a status bass, a headless bass. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I think what we're going to do here is we're going to start a Kickstarter campaign to uh, <laughs> to, to fund uh, anyone who will provide photographs of that outfit of yeah, Joe yeah, Hubbard. Yeah, yeah. You we're might gonna, have we're some Yeah, maybe, so know. Joe, we want to see those, all right, that is in the next <laughs> seminar, all right. So because Joe, and this is kind of an in-joke, but Joe always maintains that he met me at the 606 Club and I was wearing green velvet pants but i maintain they were brown you know <laughs> but so, still velvet but velvet not velour you know which is <laughs> yeah. which is you know anyway so it's so, one step too far it, it is so yeah. getting back to the base so so i'd seen this base you know uh, that helbert was playing so i asked ian to build it and um but I, I had this idea for a single neck one you know yeah and that's kind of was my first kind of nice base and i think through through ian he goes because you heard me play a bit and he goes well if you're into kind of the jazz stuff you should hear lawrence cottle you know and and i was like Okay, great. Yeah. And so he goes, well, he's playing a, some 
there was some like trade show in London and he was playing, I think, with the Stacys and maybe Mornington yeah, or, or yeah, Dave yeah, O'Higgins, yeah, right? Yeah. Might have been Dave on that one. And they did, you know, just doing some standards. But, you know, I couldn't believe it when I saw Lawrence play, you know. Uh, I yeah. mean, it, and this was in 1989 or 90, you know, like late 80s. So there was just yeah. nobody playing like, like that. that. Like yeah, nobody, yeah. Ferocious, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh and he was really nice. He was very down and I, and I and I you know, I was like a kid, I think it was nice. I was like, "Excuse me, do you think I could get a lesson?" you know. And he goes, "Yeah, sure, you know." Yeah, yeah. And it's like 20 quid or something, you know. It was yeah, like, and it was yeah. just and I remember going down and st- taking like a two I mean, you know, it was meant to be an hour. I was there for like two and a half hours or I and we went for a pint afterwards. And uh and and Lawrence was just unbelievably great. I mean, just that, you know, what his kind of knowledge. Stuff you, you know, kind of I, I remember I was you? working on a Stanley Clark tune, Song to John, which yeah, is really yeah. just kind of like the simple version is like C major seven, kind of sharp 11 to A flat major seven, right? Yeah. So it was really just two, two key centers, a bit like the first kind of two bars of Pavona or sort of four bars yeah, of Pavona, you know, just that major third. Yeah, so it was like, and he just, you know, we were playing, we just jam on it. You go, okay, well, look, you know, you could really be thinking about Lydian stuff and then, the, you know, within that, look at the triads that are, that are in there, like okay, a C and yeah, D major yeah, yeah. triads. Yeah. Or consecutive, you know, this thing, and then he goes, well, from this, and we maybe played at Red Blues. He goes, well, look, now we can get into like melodic minor stuff, like Lydian dominant stuff, yeah, and the yeah. altar scale. So he wrote out one piece of paper, which I had for years, like just the basic modes of the melodic minor, and then yeah, the kind of yeah. triadic stuff. And and you know, as a kid, it's sort of like a Pandora's box. It just you, just you're like, wow, there's, and you sort of go down the rabbit hole because if you have all that, well, then that, you know, it, it just was like. Very, very inspiring, yeah. you know. So I got him to come up to the college and do a workshop with Ian oh, Thomas. No, Jeremy yeah. Stacy the first time. Right, okay, and yeah. people were just like, you know, obviously Freaking blown out. away. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Tra- you know? Yeah, I mean, it was like, because <laughs> they thought, it, that I guess, because he was electric bass, but they weren't expecting him to be, you know, I guess they thought he would be playing funk stuff and whatever, but then he would do Tower of Power stuff, but then he'd go and they did Giant Steps, but with the whole Coltrane thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And that, so that really, honestly, that pushed my playing up a lot you know just getting i'd get a lesson yeah yeah and i would transcribe a lot of lawrence's stuff but then from lawrence and from other people's recommendations you know then i started transcribing um non-bass players so i do you know Matheny stuff i did like that you know the big guitar break on third wind or whatever on a still life yeah. talking oh, yeah, so yeah, i yeah, did yeah, that yeah. whole solo and then i do you know brecker stuff that i what i could um some cannibal stuff Bob Malak, who's a great sax player, who played yeah. at Bob Mince's big band. Bob, there's like that New York school of sax playing. We were talking earlier, um, you know, about Jerry Bagonzi and all that, right? So yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. Um, uh, you know, that very chromatic approach to improvising, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. A, a lot of like approach note stuff, double chromatic things, you know, and in and out playing, sort of moving yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 moving within yeah. the kind of changes. Yeah, yeah, so like, you know, using triads or non diatonic groupings or, you know, fauna, whatever. So it was just, um, that that approach, I think, was opened up by sort of transcribing, and uh, and then I got a scholarship to the Guildhall School of Music. You know, it was all like. And so, did you go from Newcastle straight? Out yeah, to the- straight down there. And, and again, a lot of people told me that. And, and a serious point, without being corny about it, but there's a bunch of people that I actually even roomed with that were very surprisingly negative about what you couldn't couldn't aspire to. So. You know, you always hear people say that, especially in the States about, you know, you know, you can always achieve your dreams and do that stuff. But honestly, I've got to tell you that it really is true that you you yeah, must yeah, ignore yeah. people who try and put you down about what you can aspire to. So if you're a bass player or any musician watching this, if anyone is trying to tell you you can't do something, ignore them. 
you know, in terms of, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of wanting to achieve something great. Because, you know, I remember listening to um, Mike Stern, you know, John Schofield stuff, uh, you know, John McLaughlin stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I've played with half of Mahavishnu now. I played with Mitch Foreman. I've done tours with, you know, I, I played with Bill Evans, who played sax. He, yeah, yeah, he did yeah. my band in New York a couple of times. And, you know, it's not to say that I'm great, but what I'm saying is, my dream wasn't to be the greatest bass player. My dream was to play with those with great those musicians, guys. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And people were telling me, and I, you know, and you know this, that they'll tell you, well, you know, and especially in the north of England, there was a strong tradition of playing in the clubs, doing cover bands, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, and yeah. doing boat gigs. But you it know? came from like the bingo halls, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole thing, yeah. And I got, a, I actually have to give a shout out. There was a drummer who was a teacher there at Newcastle who was probably talking to people who helped me, and his, his name is Roger Hemsall, and he might still teach at the Newcastle College. Uh, and um, uh, Roger was an amazing, amazing inspiration. Talking about like getting inspiration from not your own instrument. You yeah, know? yeah. Just and great musicians. He great would people. come in. This was in the days of cassettes, like we were saying. You know, yeah. so like eighteen forties. And, uh, and and he would <laughs> and he would come in every week with four or six C nineties. So like yeah. two albums. That's like eight. You know, like eight records, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And give them to me. So by the end of a, a term, I had a drawer. You know, in my wardrobe, or whatever. Full of and tapes. he's been recording these albums yeah. for you and saying, listen Just to give this. them to me. Listen he would pick this. students. He would pick two students every semester to kind of take under his wing, yeah. you know. And, and we're talking, we're not talking, we've, this was stuff like Michelle Camilo trio with Anthony Jackson, Steps Ahead, oh, Buddy Rich, that. Big Band, yeah. um, Don Sebesky, um, Michael Breckus of Kevin Eubanks, like, uh, the craziest, like, super the hips. Stuff. The and this was stuff. in the 80s. So yeah, this was yeah. like, the stuff would be out and within a week he'd have it. And he would be recording it. For, and there's no way we could have afforded this stuff. We couldn't, you know, it was... Or even we found it. No, we couldn't have found it. I mean, yeah. I would buy what I could, but there was no library in the, in the music school. So yeah. Roger was really, was amazing. So that's what I mean about just, if, you, if you're surrounded by the right people, it really doesn't matter what instrument they play. You know what I mean? It's almost just the, you know, the, the, the vibe they give you, yes, right? The, yeah. the inspiration, yeah, yeah. you know? So... Honestly, that was probably as big a help as, as, as studying with Lawrence. It was like the study with a great teacher, but you've got to be surrounded by the right music. The, the guys yeah. are going to sort of like, yeah, yeah, basically sort of like influence you and sort of like push you in the right direction. Yeah. And that, that, so by the time I got to the Guildhall, I was transcribing all of this stuff. Like I remember doing a sort of John Patitucci solos and some chick stuff. So by the time I got to the audition, and I did, you know, I did Donnelly or whatever, but you know, I transcribed some of Jaco's thing and yeah. I kind of knew a little bit about the harmony and, and, and I also remember having this whole book of transcriptions. So when they were asking me why I wanted to go there, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm working on this. And I put this book down with all this stuff in this there. This is what I've been doing. And it was like, yeah. a, you know, it was difficult stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, but, I, but I, the thing is, I, you know, I can understand some of this, but I really want to expand on this. And Dill was in the, in the audition. I remember he goes, because you play guitar as well. And the thing is, I wasn't playing any chords or anything on the bass, but I guess just because I was able to play some lines. Or yeah. But he was like, and I said, no, but I said, I, I listened to a lot of Matheny and John Schofield and all that. And so it was kind of, you know, it was just, I, I guess I was sort of on the right track. You know, it was but, the green light for him yeah. to know that you were listening to yeah. the right stuff and you'd obviously be motivated enough to source all this amazing yeah. material. And that was before and... even going there, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know, I got, I got there and then I was, I would just play with... The, I mean, Dill, there was a piano player who died called Lionel Grigson, who was an amazing jazz educator. Lionel wrote some books. And, and, and my first six-string bass, which was an overwater. Oh, really? Was Chris made it for me. I'd yeah. seen one in Newcastle, and I had this overwater bass. So I, I got it in my oh, last... Oh, he was in Gateshead or something. Yeah, time, yeah, wasn't yeah. He? yeah. So I, yeah. I went down to... Yeah, 
Was he there? Was he Carlisle already then? I think it was Carlisle. I think it was Carlisle. Was yeah. yeah. And I can't remember if I got it made when I was still in Newcastle. So I got this overall and so I, and I had it right at the end of the year, you know, postgrad there. And and I took it into the lesson with Lionel, and Lionel I'd heard was kind of a really traditional player. Like he wasn't really into electric instruments. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I went in a bit. It was still that was kind, kind of, of trepidation. Yeah, I thought yeah, he was yeah, going to yeah. be like, well, what's that? It's not even what is that? You know? Yeah. yeah. And he just goes, goes, wow. Well, uh, he goes, well, you should play the melody on this tune if you've got the right. And I did, and he goes, great. So we just went right into harmony. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah, about yeah. bass. It was like just about. Is that where you really learned about harmony in the guild hall? Yeah, I, I think. Well, I mean. The first major thing was Lawrence, definitely, with that. And then having had that sort of springboard, and I would still go and play with Lawrence whenever, you know, whenever, you know, he was free or whatever, and we'd just play over tunes, and I'd yeah. take what I could, you know, from, from him. Um, yeah, I mean, two, there was a guy called Pete Churchill as well who's still on the scene in London, <laughs> yeah, fantastic, right? Exactly, yeah, a- yeah. And, and there was, um, there was, uh, um, oh God, who else? I, oh, I guess, piano yeah, 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 yeah. I, and then I, who else? There was a Scottish guitar player called Kevin McKenzie, who's back up, I think, in Edinburgh now, and and I studied with him. But just like we just play, you know. But definitely, Pete and Lionel and Adil, you know, opened my ears to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, Jeff Klein was a bass teacher there too. But really, the piano thing was was where I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when it all sort of like yeah, started. because you've got a great technique, and I, I I was always that sort of like when I was learning, I was sort of like. I was into playing, you know, those technical lines, and it was it was after I had pretty good technique, right? And then the harmony started to unfold. It right. wasn't the other way around. I, I'm guessing it was probably the same for you because you're quite technically, you know, yeah. adept. I know, used to practice technique a lot, you know, but I practice these sort of horrible exercises, which just sort of just meaningless sort of digital patterns, yeah, and ended thing. up giving yeah. myself yeah. tendonitis a little bit. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like. And then I realized I was spending 40 minutes a day playing like variations of one, two, three, four, four, three, <laughs> yeah, two, one, yeah, right? And I'm like, yeah, I could yeah. be spending that 50 minutes or whatever working on a Michael Brecker solo, yeah, which would yeah. be just as technically challenging. And was transcription a big thing for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah massively. I mean, um, you know, it, it's sort of, uh, it, it's huge. I mean, the thing is, I remember, um, God, here, let me give you an, give, give an example, actually. Can I do play? It. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. do it, do it. So, do it. Look, there was like a was a Jeff Berlin solo that Water on the Brain, and uh, you know, and there's like a there's a lick over. I think it's over like a it's over like a B flat minor, and he just plays this, right? Yeah, right, that sort of thing, and this yeah. like, which is almost like the James Bond lick, right? Yeah, Isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. he's you know it's like it's that, good, right? Sharp, exactly, five, sharp five, yeah, yeah. right. But that's there's a line on it, and, and you know, and there, and there was stuff like that. And he also did this other thing where he did a um, like a thing in not. It was like in ninth. You've uh, uh, some of that, right? You yeah, remember that yeah, line, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, you could. I mean, you could take that line and made. And just meet, yeah, yeah. Right? And that's all, like, all, like, lit in. And then you could even. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? You could kind of expand that into, like, you know, becoming the sharp five harmony on a major chord as well, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like, like with Jeff Boleyn's stuff, I, I remember just that solo stuck in my head. And there was, like, some Patatucci things where he would play, and this stuff I transcribed, 
like it was like on got a match or something you know and he would do that um, you know what i mean and those kind of those kind of like minor make those kind of things yeah, right yeah, 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 the yeah, descending yeah. so and and uh those sort of things like fourths and then fifths this kind of stuff so those things kind of stuck in my head because i transcribed them do you know what i mean more than if i'd read stuff out of a book a lot of the time exactly if i you know ever worked anything out like that and transcribed it just sinks into you in a completely different way it does and I, i think you phrase it then differently you know what i mean because if you've transcribed it it fits under your hand in a different it's hard to explain isn't it but it's like um you know, the, like the Matheny, you know, like those Matheny where he goes, uh, you know, the... And he moves it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I remember doing those, uh, those, uh, my mommy does those things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, those kind of things, right? Yeah. That's all Matheny, you know? Yeah, And yeah. so I remember at the time, you know, you were kind of, what is it, is it, what? And, and then you got to figure out with this hand because it's a bitch to play those things yeah, sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just sort of had to figure it out but the point is, you figure it out after you've transcribed it, right? You kind of transcribe it slowly. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, but I can't, when I actually have to play a solo, it could be at 400 BPM, right? Yeah. So yeah. how am I going to execute it, you know? And, and I think that was one of the things with transcribing the better bass soloists. Because like I said, I don't really recommend transcribing bass players that much. But, but with those guys, they're playing such great lines that so it kind of is at that level of vocabulary of a great sax player or piano yeah. player, right? Yeah, is that you know who, I mean? like, who did you transcribe? Like, in fact, like bass players, is it Patucci? Patucci, yeah. I mean, Jeff, I transcribed. Cottle. Lawrence's stuff, I mean, because Lawrence has some just amazing shit. Um, There was one Jeff Boleyn solo, uh, Manos de Piedra or something, it's off like his second solo record. You know that one? No, no, no. The first line is... uh, Oh, I do, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right, you remember that? And I think there's some... I think there's some things in it. So I did that one, I did... Uh, that uh, Joe Frazier, right? Yeah, Joe Frazier. Because then it has like, Something like that, right? You remember yeah, that? Yeah. So, so I transcribed that, and then I did um, did some Dominic de Piazza stuff. Oh, remember John him? McGlock- yeah, yeah, because he, you know, <laughs> when I heard that, when I heard that, that album, stuff, you know, when I heard that album, it was like life changing for me. D- that Kay, like I, you know, yeah, Key Allegra. yeah, I saw them. Did John you McGlock- ever see them? You see them live? Yeah, yeah, it was it was insane. It was right? it blew my mind. It, it was never seen he was a better soloist like than McLaughlin on yeah, stuff, right? It was insane. They did like rhythm changes. Remember with Kathy LeBeck and she was on one of them? Yeah. And, and and you know, I mean McLaughlin's obviously incredible, but but Dominique's harmonic vocabulary was in, it, was it was ridiculous, insane. right? It was ridiculous. And he's yeah. lugging it as well. It's, it's, yeah. He is. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. got like he, real traditional background. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He he like, yeah. super scary. Um he was, re- and all the, you know, that that um, beautiful chord melody thing, that that ballad, right? In the middle of that key leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. so, and I think Dominic was one of the guys, like, sort of for chords and voicings, because, you know, he was, like, obviously so into the, you know, the kind of, the, the which is all like the Matheny-esque thing. Like, it's like at the end of, like, um, it's on Bright Size Life. You remember he ends on one of those, I think, is it Bright Size Life or it's one of those other teams, like, I forget. Is it, it might be Bryce. I think it does. Yeah, where he ends on one of those chords, right? Yeah, and those kind of voicings are always, you know, really. So I think it was him that I got some of those voicings, you know, those kind of clustery, you know, like these kind of these ones, which are a bitch, but yeah, right with well, the third the and the fourth yeah. in there, you know, and that stuff is like, you know, and then I was totally like Dominique with the sharp five kind yeah, of thing, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. That and you know. 
that's totally a Dominique yeah, thing, right? Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Where you, where you hear like, you know, you'd have the pedal point and moving clusters around, you know, implying all sorts of triadic movements. So I think Dominique was sort of the guy that opened my ears to that, you know. And then um, after that, I mean, Gary Willis, obviously, I love Gary. Did you listen playing. to sort of like the Royal Festival Hall gig with John? And I was Kaya there. Kurt. I was at that gig. That wow. actual one from the album, really? Because when, when we when when they when they recorded it, you couldn't even hear um, Kai. Really? So I was really pissed you because like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. like, where's the where's the bass? And, and I was later told that I think I complained on the interval. I said, well, I can't hear the bass, and they were like, well, <laughs> well, we we can't put it through the PA because it feeds back with McLaughlin's guitar. And when we're recording it, oh, and you're like, well, okay, you're on. recording it, but what about the 20 quid I just spent on a ticket and yeah, then I'm yeah. a bass player, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I remember the album came out and I was kind of like, oh, because yeah. you couldn't hear much of that. Right, yeah, And it yeah. is amazing, It's right? amazing, yeah. Can't, one of my yeah, favorite yeah. albums, you know. Yeah. Both of them, Key Allegra, like I got so much from listening to those. That and like I said, that black Mahavishnu cover, you know, Matt, have you got that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. Billy Cobham on the record, yeah. right? And that, and Jonas is it's so good. There's that track, Pacific Express. We used yeah, to do that. Yeah, and you yeah, ca- we covered yeah. that track. Really? I had a, a friend, Michael Max, who's a sax player. He, trans- he transcribed all of that stuff. So we were doing Mahavishnu. Uh, there was a girl called Alice Kane who ended up being in a pop band. She had incredible like, ears for hearing stuff. And she, we would tra- she transcribed, remember the, the in trio or Suntan Camilo record with Wackle and Rosenberg. And Ad? So yeah, she transcribed Tombone yeah, 7 yeah. 4. And another one. Then she did Just Kidding it's and Why on Not. Bass, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Anthony's yeah. on bass. And she transcribed the whole thing. Like, I had a part of 10 pages with every note that Anthony Jackson wow. played. So we did Why Not as my performance yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, and yeah. we were literally playing it note for note. So that was at like 20, you know. Yeah, so already, yeah. you know, like, it wasn't like I didn't know what was going on, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But that was because of other students. Do you know what I mean? It was. Yeah, I was yeah, lucky yeah. that the students were really good. Yeah. You know, like obviously it was playing like a huge part of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I know I, it was. I'm asking you because I want you to sort of like you know, obviously it's a huge part of it, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Actually, you getting like learning the transcribing, yes, and stuff like that. Yeah. But then using that in a real life situation. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to because I, I remember, and I've said this to quite a few students recently. You know, and I, I think I, you know, and I probably, hopefully, it's come across in the two seminars I've yeah, done too. Yeah. You know that that it's really. Um, you know, I mean, in the last one I did the other day, you know, I mean, it's hard obviously to make it like, it's not a real music situation, but I had a little loop and some stuff to play yeah, on, yeah. you know, in the, just for a blues. It's like, it's much better to be able to illustrate something. So if I go, okay, well, we can use this kind of pentatonic scale with a flat and fifth, this minor one, but it'll work over a C minor blues if I, and if I change one note, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. and you can hear it, you know, and you have yeah. to, pra- I think the thing is just to force yourself to, pr- to stop practicing it. And actually, you start using it. Yeah, to stop. It, yeah, because yeah, yeah. and I was talking with Joe about this too, Hubbard. You know, and we had a long chat about this the other night. Um, that that thing about you know, oh well, I'm practicing this, and now, now I'm going to try and use it on the gig. But it's like, well, that's a disconnect, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, get the idea done and just be using it. Play yeah, it. Yeah, play yeah, it. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I never play that Jeff Berlin lick like that on a gig. You know what I mean? But I might paraphrase, you know, but already yeah, I understand steal, it. You steal pieces yeah. from it and use yes. it as a start-off point. Yeah. You're not going to think, oh, this is where I'm going to fit that lick in. No, no yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully as you're playing it and practicing it, you know, you're immediately understanding what it is, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so by the time you've finished, you know, it's a great technical exercise to play along with stuff. But yeah, you should... Fo- and I guess the reason why after, you know, I think I was in London for like 10 years after I, you know, after the Guildhall. Yeah. But I started... Um, I was teaching at MI 
There was a franchise, were, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Above the base center, as we were talking about. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I remember I got so just burnt out on just teaching and not... John Abercrombie came over to play yeah, yeah. Right, with Adam Nussbaum. And I think they were there with the tree with Dan Wall. And it was funny. And the first time Abercrombie came to MI, we were all in the, the, one of the classrooms and there was a lot of rock guys on the bass department. You know, I was yeah, like the only yeah, jazz guy. Yeah, and it yeah. was kind of a weird scene. And I can say this now, where the guy who ran the department, you know, kind of was a rock guy. I didn't, I think, have a lot of love for, for jazz. So it was always like a, it was a bit of a battle sometimes to yeah, kind of yeah, get yeah. the education to the students, yeah. you know. So I'm there and Abercrombie's doing this great talk and he's playing a bit. But he's, you know, see, he's kind of tired of talking. He just wants to play a bit. Yeah. And he just goes, he goes, anybody want to play? You know. Not any bass players, you know, yeah. and there's the, everyone kind of like it's like the air goes out of the room and everyone kind of backs Ooh, away a bit. And I'm at the back of the room. Me, you're like me. <laughs> and while someone went Rufus, and I just went, I'll play with you, you know. And I just got my bass, and it was and it was just that moment where you're like, okay, let's do it, you yeah. know. And I wasn't nervous at all because he's so good. Yeah. But what what's there to be nervous about? Because he's only going to make you sound better yeah. than you ever yeah, sounded, yeah. right? Yeah. And he goes, "What do you want to play?" And I went, and I knew I know he likes certain standards. And I said, "Well, what about all the things you are?" And he goes. He goes, okay. He goes, you count it off. And, there was, and he just goes, but not too fast. You know, and it was like a nice moment. You know what yeah, I mean? Where you yeah, just yeah, it kind yeah, of broke yeah. the ice. And we did it. We played and it was, it was like so easy to play because his time was so good. Yeah, it you know? so developed. Yeah. It, it was, and so it kind of just, it made me think, wow, if you're playing with great players that have a great attitude, you actually end up sounding better. You don't sound worse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They, they bring you up. Yeah, they don't they drag you up right? to their level, yeah. Right. And, 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 and screaming yeah, sometimes. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> yeah. But, but, yeah, yeah. And you yeah. usually, you usually rise to it, you know, if you've yeah. got any foundation, you know. So I think that put the seed in my brain of that. And so in 96, I think I took my first trip over there and I... To was, New York yeah. with this. I, I, and I think within a day, I went to Federa, right? And, uh, you know, which is of course like the holy grail for bass players at yeah, that time, yeah. right? And, uh, were they down in Brooklyn still? Yeah. They were still yeah. in that warehouse, and Nick Epifani had his shop above. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah. They're, they're still there now. Yeah, I think yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, anyway, so I'm in Federa, you know, and I'm trying out some bass, and, and Nick walks in with Matt Garrison, who I'd seen the week before with the Zaunal Syndicate in London. Oh, man, was he playing with them? Okay. Yeah, yeah with Pacasuri, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it was a double bill. It was McLaughlin's trio with Dennis and, jo- and Joey DeFrancesco. Yeah, I love that trio. And, and, and as great as that trio was, the Zaunal thing just kind of, and they opened for McLaughlin, and it was yeah. kind of like, we were all, I was there with a guitar called Malcolm McFarlane, this great Scottish guitarist, yeah, and, Scottish, we, and we yeah, were yeah. just we, like... Phil, Phil Mulford played. Really. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we just looked at each other and we're like, what the heck? This is ridiculous. Like, yeah. it's so good. And Matt didn't get a solo. I remember he didn't. It was only a 50-minute set. Yeah. But he did a couple of... Uh, but you could just tell. You're like, this guy's really he heavy. He got it. Like, he's, he's the next guy. He took you know? the time out. I think he took time out of Berkeley to go on tour with the Zaunals. That could be right. Because he was already... Yeah. yeah. That, the, and I think he was also... Uh, he'd gone out with Gary Burton before that. And yeah, Steve Coleman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, somebody, I was talking to somebody the other day. Chris Cheney, I think. Okay. said that he'd gone on tour with um, Garrison. No, it wasn't. It was Sean Hurley. Okay. said that he, um, Garrison had gone out and to go on tour with Gary Burton and Sean filled in for the Yellow Jackets ensemble that he did. Oh, okay. It's all sort of interlinked, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So was it, was yeah. it, was it obvious when you saw Garrison on that? that was it? Yeah. Like, I, I wow. mean, and it was almost like, 
Even he, he did. He did record as well with Zamalo, but yeah, it, but not it, much. He got that one. A, he got that. He didn't get much. Yeah, yeah, he didn't yeah. get. I mean, the Richard crap. Boner got the the lion's share the of the record. Yeah. yeah. So I remember. So I was in the Federer factory playing this bass, and Nick Epifani walks in, who's you know Italian but Brooklyn, whatever you know, yeah, and, and, yeah. and he and he's and he comes up and he goes goes. You sound good, and he's like, "How come you can fucking play? You're British, you know." And he's kind of like, already, really obnoxious, but yeah, funny." Yeah, and yeah. I liked him immediately, you know. Like he was yeah. really, really kind of just in your face, and and I, and I just thought he was great, you know. Yeah. It was just funny as hell. And Matt was standing with him, and and Nick just kind of goes, "Oh, this is Matthew." Like he didn't say, he goes, "This is Matthew." Yeah. And, and I just went, "Hey," and and Matt was like nice, but he was just like, "Oh, hey," but just kind of you know, like just formal, mellow. Yeah, and I just yeah. went. I said, I said, you sounded amazing with Zawinul last week, and it completely broke the ice because he was like, "Oh, you like you know something about one." And I was like, yeah. "I saw you, you know, in London, and uh, and we just hit it off." And from then, he was just like, "What are you doing tonight? You want to come to a jam session?" I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah. So he kind of took me under his wing and, and dragged was this me like around. Literally, in the first few days, first the first oh, proper day I was there. So it was just sort of like it was crazy. World. Yeah. World. Yeah, yeah. And and I went to this jam, and there was I think Richard Boner was there too. Playing Seven Steps to Heaven, I remember. And there was, um, I think, Tim Lefebvre I saw also that week. Or the, or I went back the same year. I went back in eight, so it was like three months apart as well. I went back, and I forget the chronology of that. But anyway, yeah, so Tim was playing, I think, yeah. with Larry Coriel. We came with Denard, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe there was Dennis, I think, on drums. And, yeah, Matt introduced me to a ton of guys. And then I came back to England, and... There was a message on my answer phone from Wayne Krantz. That's the kind of message you like. It was, uh, and it was asking if, because he knew I teach, uh, taught at Emma, and I think I'd met someone that knew Wayne and told him about me. And he goes, yeah. he goes, I'm going to be in London with Steely Dan and I have the day off. Would you think MI would, would like me to come and do a clinic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember like Wayne wanted not a, a, an unreasonable amount, totally deep, like it was kind of a bargain, yeah, you know, because yeah. it's like Steely Dan's guitar. And, and, the, one of the future heaviest guitars, you yeah, know, like yeah, super, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I couldn't get, like, one of the reasons I, I kind of started to lose love for teaching there was they, they wouldn't even find the money to get him in. And I was and I was like, Wayne, I tried so hard. And I wow. felt bad. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This yeah, is like, yeah, yeah. when yeah. do you get this Wayne guy, when's he going to come yeah, down to yeah. Wapping to yeah. do a clinic for you? Yeah. And he plays with a small band called Stevie Dan, you know. <laughs> you so, might have heard of it. Yeah. But the, 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 the silver lining was I like, got, Eight throw seats to see them at the Birmingham NEC oh, okay. from Wayne, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I went up with the, uh, Steve Lauder, keyboard player. Yeah, I think yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So Steve and, I, and it was it was and it was Ricky Lawson, it was Tom Barney, and it was just you know it was great, yeah. you know. So basically, fast forward. So by 1999, I'm like, screw it, I'm going to move. So I just uh, I got the 01, you know, my first artist yeah, visa. Yeah, the visa. Thing. And um, yeah, by the summer of 99, I, I, I'd moved. You know? Wow, to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How did that feel? Super, um, super nervous about it, or were you no, super excited? No, no, and I knew. No, I mean, I knew Matt, and I, and I'd done. I'd also prior to that, I'd recorded the voiceover stuff for that Bluth record we were talking about. Yeah, because yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I met Tim Lefebvre. Yeah, because I met Tim in London, and so then Tim goes, "Oh, come and meet Zach Danziger. He's a drummer. People probably know. Yeah, and he does that band, Mr. Barrington now, and um, which is great. And so we went to Zach's apartment, which was that like I don't know in Manhattan, really nice apartment actually. And Zach's like, hey, hi, I'm Zach. And he goes, um, okay, go into the bathroom. So I go into his bathroom, and there's a mic set up, and they want me to be the big bad wolf for this kind of semi-pornographic <laughs> section. Yeah. And uh, 
And Lenny Stern, I think, was doing the guitar. Right? Oh, right, okay, yeah. And I, I'm, and my first line was, um, hello, little girl, what's in the basket? <laughs> and, it's like, and it's this weird porno wolf. Yeah. So that was, was my first paid gig in New York. <laughs> really? I got $50. Seriously. Amazing. And that's probably the highest, highest paid gig there. In New York, New York yeah. Um, so, so that was, yeah. So anyway, so, so by the time I got there, I sort of knew people, but, but it was... Most of the work I got was not from the people I knew already, right, okay. even though they helped me and they would, you know, but, but it was almost like they provided the confidence to move, but then it was just, you kind of got to make your own way. You, you're on, you, you're mix, on your own. Like, yeah, everyone yeah. was helpful, but, you know, it was kind of like, you're here How now. How old were you at this point? God, I was um, 47. Right. So it was like... <laughs> um, I was about 30. I was about, yeah, yeah, I was like late 20s, I think, yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So I was... I was young, but you, you realize as you get older how young you were. Do, do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really young. Yeah. You know, but at the time you feel, hey, I'm, you know, I'm yeah, almost 30, you know, mature, whatever, right? Yeah. But, but it's actually really insane, you, yeah. know, you know. And um, I got a job bartending at this scary bar in Hell's Kitchen. Um, and I always remember one of the guys was, oh, I can't talk about that. Uh, anyways, <laughs> that'll be for the seminar. Uh, okay, you know, let's just say they were selling extracurricular items yeah. out of the back door, you know, uh, really. So, but, so I was bartending there, and then I was running to sub on Saturday Night Fever on Broadway okay, in the evening because yeah, yeah. the MD from the English show had moved out there and was getting me into sub. Was that sort of like, did you think, because obviously there's the whole Broadway thing. As well. Right. There's different scenes in New York, right? There's yeah. the Broadway scene, and then there's the, you know, the, the 55 bar scene. Right. And then there's more traditional jazz that, like, did you have anything in mind? Or were you totally open to it? I was pretty open. I mean, I think you go out there and you sort of obviously just want to play at the 55 bar with Mike Stern or something. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Or yeah. playing like Fusion Wait, or whatever. Yeah. But, but it's, it's sort of as you move out there, you realize that's like a gig that you can't earn a living on. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it's a tiny club. And the, the really good guys who are sort of working, I mean, there's a few guys, I'm like, I, I know Matt was very specialized, but, you know, who, who are able to do very, like, you know, special thing. But a lot of guys are doing, they'll do a Latin gig or an African gig or a flamenco-style gig yeah. or a funk gig. And the really, there's some, it's sort of not like jack-of-all-trades there. There's, like, guys who are really, really good at a lot of things. Uh, right, okay, and yeah. it's sort of like, if you do a Latin jazz gig and you at least have got a strong timbal and you can hang when someone's playing, you know, like, if it's, like, El Negro or, like, Robbie Armin or... Richie Morales, yeah, play, yeah, you know, yeah. um, you can do. You'd it. better be able to at least deal, even if you aren't 100 percent authentic, you know. So yeah. that was the. I actually, the weird thing about me is, I and I didn't aim to do this, but I think the first gig I sat in on was Richard Boner's gig, and I was wow. there, and the drummer right. called Jeremy Gaddy, who was, I think, also by Roy Ayers, but he was Richard's drummer around 2000. There was a club called Citron 47, tiny club. Richard would go through his little Galleon Kruger guitar amp, you know, with the two little eight-inch speakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what his rig was. Really? It was that quiet. Wow. But it was, like, burning, but super quiet. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And a lot of musicians in the audience, like, just everyone hanging at the bar, and, and Richard was kind of still... He'd been, was he known at that point? Yeah, or? but he was still, like, the right... You know, from, like, 99 on, he was kind of still really, like, rising star. Yeah, like, he was yeah. known, but it was like he was still doing gigs around town, as yeah. well as going to And he'd done Zowan all by this point. Yeah, he'd done Zowan. I think he was doing Harry Belafonte's gig then. Yeah. So, I, I, his dr- this guy Jeremy comes out, and he goes, uh, he goes to um, Richard on the break. He goes, Richard, he goes, this guy's a really good bass player. And I, and I don't know how he knew me, but he did from London. I, I don't remember meeting him. Yeah. And, but, and Jeremy went on to be a good friend, actually, and we played a lot. But he, he was like, you should let him sit in. 
I'm just like sitting on Richard Bonus gig. Wow. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So yeah. I got up and it was great because the guitar player didn't sound very good. So when it came to my solo, unfortunately, I was better than he <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, but you know, and I got off and, you know, I did okay. But at the same time, I wasn't like, oh, it was great. I was just, well, I didn't suck, you know. Yeah. But I think the fact that I had the balls to get up on Richard Bonus gig, yeah, right? Yeah. And go, I mean, yeah, I'll play, you know. Yeah, and then I yeah. sat down and I didn't, I didn't, you know, didn't look for a I just sat down and had a beer and, and suddenly guys are going, hey man, you sounded good. Give me your card. Like, this is guys at the bar, musicians. Was this the, the, the kind of sort of like lift off point? Yeah. They yeah, were just like, was. there was one guy there, Ron, some was guitarist. He goes, yeah, man, you sounded good. You have a card? I'm like, yeah. And he called me like two days later for a gig. Wow. Literally like that. So it, it just took that one gig. For, that for gig. To, to be dropped. And, um, you know John Benitez, bass yeah. player? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. you know, John was playing with Winter Marsalis's band and with um, Eddie Palmieri, great Latin bass player, but he also played with John Schofield on the Ray Charles yeah. tribute tour for a bit. Um, and I met John in the elevator of the bass collective going up to see Jeff Andrews do a clinic, right? Oh, man, Jeff Andrews. So it was wow. Jeff and yeah. Lincoln Goins sat in. I remember sitting yeah. there wanting to get up and play with Jeff because yeah. Jeff, I took a lesson with in London, by the way. Uh, I, I took a lesson right? in New York. Did you? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And, and just amazing, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Baytown Blues on that Mike Stern album. Yes, that. I transcribed all of that. That was yeah. one of the best. That was another um, solo that... Um, changed my yeah, life yeah actually. it's like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of yeah. those solos yeah it's, it's it totally like, is like, it's the, yeah it's the best electric it, bass solo it's on a so blues. swinging yeah ever. yeah you know? and there's so much harmonic information in it yeah. right there's a thing you know so so yeah so we went to see jeff play and in the elevator on the way down like, there's benitez and he's a big dude you know and he's kind of standing in the elevator like staring at my bass i had like a leather levy's bag i think from my ken smith at the time and he goes it's a nice case because what do you got in the case and i'm like and I'm kind of like, uh, it's a Ken Smith. He goes, oh, nice. He goes, goes, yeah, man. He goes, what's your name? And we just became, you know, like he was actually really nice. Yeah, like he was yeah, just really yeah. interested. He yeah. was like, and we got talking and, 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 I was, and he goes, come down and sit in. I'm playing at the zinc bar with Ron Afif. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I go down and, and I don't get to play. You know, it was like a, a, a kind of more of an upright vibe yeah. on that gig. So, so I'm sitting there and I'm not pissed. I'm just waiting. You know, I'm just like, you know, you see if you get whatever, you, you know. But but he saw me. He goes, oh, man, I'm sorry. Come down. You know, I'm playing on Thursday with Hector Martin on this piano player. Come down. So I did. But I hadn't, didn't have my bass. I think I was just um, just going down to hang. I, I was like, you know, whatever. I'll just go and hang. Yeah. So, and it was like, this is honestly like one of those scenes from a film. And it's absolutely how it happens. So I'm sitting watching, right? And they go into um, nothing personal, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has that distinctive bass line, right? So, you know, doom, doom. And, and John's playing the bass part, right? And he looks at, and, and, I, and I catch his eye. I'm like, ah, like, you know, I know it. And John goes, so you know this? And I'm like, and he goes, so he takes the bass off. And the tune's going. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And he walks up and he hands me this massive Federa six string that he's playing. <laughs> and I was playing a six with a Ken Smith. So, you know, and I don't think he knew I played six, but what, you know, he just hands it to me. Yeah. And, I, and I take, and I just carry with the bass line. And then Hector's playing the piano part. He's kind of playing like a Montuno over it, you know. And he leans over and he's in Spanish. He's obviously going, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, Can he play? Yeah, yeah, is he okay? Yeah, yeah. You know? It's going to be a train wreck. So he's trying to look at me like trying to sort of say, you know, the tune's coming up and there's like these hits and stuff. So he starts the tune and I play the melody. I caught the melody with him. So he was like, oh, okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. You know, so it was like a 20 minute version of nothing personal. I remember, um, I think it was Mark Whitfield on guitar, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, Bramford's yeah. guitarist yeah. at the point. I'm great. And then Roy Hargrove came and sat in. Wow. So it was like fucking Roy wow. Hargrove. And then I think David Sanchez walks up. <laughs> so I'm just playing on my, my sort of resume is, you know, like, yeah, like as, yeah, as yeah. played with, yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, yeah, but, but yeah. it was, you know, uh, so I finish it. And after John's is like, man, he goes, you sounded great. You've got to show me some of that stuff you're doing. And he's really sweet, you know? Yeah. And 
anyway, so end of the night, I thank Hector for letting me play. You know, and Hector's an incredible piano player. So, but I don't, I don't give anyone my card. Like maybe in LA, you know, I might have done that, you know, because I noticed I got a lot of cards when I moved here. Yeah. But um, I just was like, oh, thanks so much. You didn't want to be sort no, of like, hey, no. hey, hey. I was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. thank you. I was just like, super excited to have played, you know. Yeah. So I go home. And the next day, I'm on a date with this girl. And, and I said, like, well, I know this great band are playing tonight. Same band, you know, the Zing. Yeah. So, and she goes, oh, let's go. So I'm walking downstairs into the old Zing, which is down these basement steps, right, on Houston and LaGuardia place it was. And, and Hector, the piano player, runs up and he goes, where, where have you been? I didn't have a number for you. We, we, need, we need you to play. And I went, what do you mean? And, and he goes, well, John's late. He's doing the Mingus band. We have no bass player. You've got to play. Amazing. And I'm like, and the thing is, I've memorized a couple of the tunes. I said, did you play that Bala Kambala tune, the one that E minor goes into the Autumnese bridge? And he goes, we did that. I said, did you know? He goes, yeah. <laughs> he goes, John has the bass pad. You've got to read off the piano charts. I'm like, okay. We're so good. I go, and I had, this time I had my bass, right? Yeah. But John had left his rig there. So it was kind of like meant to be. So I go and I yeah, plug yeah. in. And I'm literally, there's a, one of those Yamaha C70, you know, those electric pianos. With yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just sheet music flat on the piano Hector's here and I'm just like this cranking round and trying to read 50 it. minutes of sight reading this shit and that's what, that was it you know so I did it and you know I finish it and John walks in and he's just man you saved my ass because you know I, I, I saved his ass a little yeah, bit because yeah, yeah. he kind yeah, of yeah. you know it, it was awkward up, yeah. and uh, anyway so I think the next week he, he sub had me sub for him on a uh, like one of those um uh, BT or something like jazz specials. I yeah, was the yeah, bass player, yeah. and I yeah. So it was kind of that's literally how it got started. You know. And how did you end up in LA? What like what happened? <laughs> you know, I, well, I ended up also teaching at the was collective. It the sun? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. You know, I, I was teaching. Oh really? Yeah, I had yeah. the bass collective gig as well because Kim Plainfield in the drummer. Yeah, so yeah, oh, yeah. Fantastic. With, yeah, I've heard and, him play with like Lincoln Goins. Yeah, yeah, and Kim played with Bill Connors, a guitar player. Remember, yeah, right? Yeah. And yet they have those great records, which Weckl was on the first one, and then Kim, there was Step It, Double Up, and Assembler, and it's Tom Kennedy on bass, right? Yeah, oh so wow, I transcribed, yeah. that's another guy. I just yeah, transcribed. crazy, yeah. So the thing is, there, there's a thing. In Newcastle, I remember sitting in my, in my bedroom, playing along with Bill Connors with Kim Plainfield, right? Yeah. And then I ended up going into sub for this other bass player at the collective, and it's Kim Plainfield. Wow. And then there was a message on my answer phone one night, this is Kim Blaver. I need you to sub on my Afro-Cuban fusion class tomorrow, 10 a.m. collective. <laughs> and that was literally, that was it. That was it. And, and I walked in and, and, and Kim was just like, God, you goddamn limey. You know, and he's <laughs> immediately messing with me, you know. So again, I liked him straight away. Yeah. And, and it was like, we, I think he had me sight read actual proof and a bunch of other shit. And I had to sight read it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, I did. It's like, this, and I think Hector was on piano. So it was yeah. like, so the thing is, that was great for about two years. But then I think the weather in New York started to get to me, you know, the winters and the, it's and it's, super it's, cold, it's yeah. a grind. I mean, it's really hard, you know, um, physically just yeah. to be there. And I would come out to LA and, and, and all joking aside, the weather is perfect. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And plus you can own a car here. Did you, you know people down here already? Uh, or was it, a, was it a leap of faith? The management company for down to the bone, the acid jazz band yeah, that I was yeah, yeah. now playing with, which was Paul Turner's gig originally. Yeah. It and, and uh, Paul, I'd known in England, and you know we'd hung. And actually, he came and t- and you know we were friends. Anyway, but I remember him coming over and hung, and I showed him, you know, gave him a couple of lessons or some jazz stuff, you know. And Paul was already like a great pop guy, you know, yeah, incredible, yeah. you know, and still is. So you know, it was just, 
I guess the down to the bone thing, you know, um, that more gigs were out here on the West Coast and the management were having to fly me and that was going to come to an end because it was getting expensive for them. Right, okay, yeah. And then Rick Firabracci was another great bass player. Yeah, so Rick yeah. was moving out to New York. This is like terrible name dropping session. Sorry, but it's the only way to kind of put the story in context. But there was another drummer called Joel Rosenblatt. Yeah, and and yeah. Joel and I had a trio actually for about a year or two called JBL. Uh, and Joel was this incredible and very nice guy. And Joel was like, oh, you've got to meet my buddy Rick when he moves out. He's a great bass player. And yeah. You guys would totally hit it off. And Rick came and um, uh, sat in on a gig I was doing. And one of the traditions in New York is that you sit, people sit in on gigs, not jam sessions, but if, if oh, you're gigs. buddies, just yeah. like, you don't, it's like you come and sit in on the real thing, not some yeah, dodgy yeah, jam yeah, session, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and so Rick came down with his, with his uh, wife, Leslie, who's really sweet. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, man, you want to play? And he's like, okay, yeah. And, and so, you know, Rick sounded great. And, and we, then we ended up having dinner and hanging. He goes, man, you sound great. You play with Chang. You sounded great. I, I think I was playing on like, I don't know, like a Corcovado or something like that. Yeah, yeah. you know. And he was like, man, you can actually, you know, he goes, you'd be great in LA because, you know, it's maybe less of an outright jazz town for electric bass players, but you would stand out because of that, you know? And yeah, he, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. he gave me some encouragement and he goes, I'll recommend you to Virgil and Planet X and Derek Sherinian. Yeah, because that's the first time I heard, saw you kind of come out in an LA kind of band. Right. It was with Planet X. Yeah, that was, well, the story with that was, um, I went out here to do a festival for Down to the Bone and we were staying at this hotel called the Sportsman's Lodge, which is right off Coldwater yeah, County, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is kind of an interesting hotel and there's a lot of, a lot of women wandering around the corridors late at night. <laughs> so, uh, and I wouldn't know anything about that. Uh, you know, that nine days I just practiced uh, at Craigslist. So anyway, so, so, I, I'm, I'm, uh, so I was coming out for nine days. So I, I called Virgil and Derek or email, whatever. And I said, look, I'm going to come out. And I knew they were looking for the bass player, you know, and, and Rick had kind of hooked us up. So they sent me a bunch of music, which was hard. And I'd never really heard anything like it. You know, the, the way... Virgil writes and the, and the groupings, the odd time stuff. Yeah. Some of this stuff, because of the way he writes stuff, he, 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 you know, with the accents, it sounds like some of the stuff is slowing down, that metric modulation thing, but it really, it's really just sixteenths and odd groupings. Yeah. yeah? yeah, yeah. So sometimes you'd have things going. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, so you yeah, yeah. So the, the, the pulse is always oh there. God, but, but, it feels but you, like it's so going you, you know, so, but then when you see the music, okay, it's five, five sevens so it sounds like it's going you know so it's hard you know the first time you come across that I was going to say what was it like when you were first you know it was mind-boggling because I was already doing hard I mean you know in in New York it wasn't like I was playing easy music I mean I was doing you know I'd played with Randy Brecker and I'd done all these you know and we'd done serious fusion cool stuff yeah Yeah. but nothing like that you know so when I came out I mean I shedded it quite a lot and some of it I had to actually transcribe was it charted or not Half and half. Rick had written some stuff out, which is great, but some of it wasn't charted. So yeah. it was a mixture, you know, and some of it was a couple of things were really. I remember asking Rick, and he goes, Yeah, it's hard. And I said, Well, how hard? Is it like got a match hard, which is not that hard, you know, <laughs> yeah, like once yeah, you get yeah, it down? Yeah, but yeah. It, and it was like, He's like, No, no this is hard. it's hard. Yeah, yeah. And so you I can't quite, you know, until you see, you don't really know. You're like, Oh, yeah, well, how hard, right? Yeah, and then yeah, you're getting yeah. like, This is kind of ridiculous, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. because it's all written on a keyboard. So when these lines are flying by and they're like brutal like things, they're not written for a bass player at all. Yeah, you know? yeah. And Rick had nailed that shit on the record, it has to be said. So it was like the bar was set, you know, quite a substantial level and you yeah, get yeah, to go yeah. in hard, you know. So I remember I flew in, I had that brutal shuttle ride from the airport, like two hours. It was like traffic from hell. So I was fried. I mean, it was only a six hour flight, not like flying from England, but still. 
And I got to Hollywood. I got some dinner. I remember going to Trader Joe's and getting a salad. And then literally Virgil picks me up and takes me straight to audition. So I've already <laughs> traveled eight hours. And I go straight to audition for Planet yeah, X. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. So we get in the room. There's Derek's there and this guy TJ Helmerick on guitar. Yeah. And He's fantastic. Yeah. But TJ's more like learn it all by ear. So you have these strange like hieroglyphic notes. It's like very, it was interesting. Like he scored it out a whole different way. So we couldn't really ask each other about stuff, you know. Yeah. Just completely different language. Yeah. It yeah, really yeah. was. So anyway, we warm up with, was it, she was like, dun, 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 dun. was it called like, oh, I can't remember. Anyway. So we, we started with Derek's like real heavy tune. It was cool. So that warmed us up. And then we did like the, there's like a sort of trilogy suite with these crazy units and things. And uh, anyway, so we played for about an hour, right? And then like, there's like a break and then Virgil and Derek go out of the room to like chat, you know, and I'm just sitting there, you know, and I'm there anyway for Dan the Bunch, so it doesn't matter either way. But yeah, then they come yeah, back yeah. and they go, well, we'd like you to be part of the band. Like it wasn't just for the tour, we'd like you to be in the band, yeah. you know. I was like, okay, but we're going to start. Not, the, you haven't moved no, to LA I'm still in point. New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then they're like, but we need you here. In right, a week. Okay, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. we're going to start rehearsing for three weeks. And I'm like, oh, like, we go on tour in a month. Didn't Rick tell you? And I'm like, no. So I did my Down to the Bone gig. I flew back to New York on a Monday. By Sunday that week, I was on a plane having all my wow. gear and moved out of my apartment. Well, really, that was it. Just gone, yeah. I got on the JetBlue flight with two gig bags, with like four, you know, two double bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dra- and a back, dragging them down the aisle, you know, and the flight attendants are looking at me, and I'm just like, <laughs> hello, yeah, and I'm just, yeah. don't stop me, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I had like a Ken Smith, my friend, you know, like a lot of valuable shit, you know. Yeah. And uh, that was it. I, and I had a really cheap apartment in New York. I had 500 bucks a month. Times yeah. Square. Wow. It was crazy. What? I gave up that. You know, I had this crazy deal on a little studio apartment. Well, was it? What was it? It was a the, rent control one. I was but it was say rent control. But in it New was York, it yeah. was majorly like rent. Like anyway, so so it was that fast, and and literally the next like the Monday we went to rehearsing. We would rehearse like six or eight hours a day on that shit. Yeah, you know. So in terms of technique and stuff, I think at that period, my technique in that year was the best it ever was. Right. Okay, you know, yeah, I remember yeah. like playing stuff on, and actually kind of being like, like no, knowing like, wow, this is crazy. Well, this what is I great. Play. Yeah, what, what I could, I was yeah. coming up with stuff in the rehearsals and I was like, I just, it, I actually started, to, I almost hurt my hands sometimes because I was playing stuff that was so much sort of faster and like more technically developed than yeah. anything I could even imagine, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so it was actually almost as if, it was sort of running away with itself. You know, like you're kind of like, you're going to be, okay, I've got to be careful about this because I'm really asking my I'm fingers to do stuff that's unplayable, yeah, you know, because we'd run yeah. these unison lines for like 40 minutes, you know, and, you know, just to ask your hands to do that is dangerous. It's ridiculous. So I had to be really careful, you know, just to pace myself. I'd never played sort of music like that. And, and, and then from that, I ended up doing Virgil's solo band, which to be honest was more fun because it, it breathed more, you know, it was less progressive rock and more, you know, Virgil comes out of loving Tony Williams and, you know, guys like that and Weather Report. So yeah, he, yeah, he's got a little yeah. more grease and, and the jazz side, you know, than the Planet X stuff. Than the rock stuff. Yeah, and that yeah. suited me better. because I was going to say I'm that's not, probably more of your yeah, street, isn't I mean, it? Yeah. you know, a lot of guys, I think I've been asked to do a lot of, well, not a lot, but some sessions by people who write that music. And the most recent one, I said to the guy, I said, honestly, I said, you've written out every 16th note for me to play and, and, and they're, and it's like in like eleven sixteen and seven sixteen. And I'm like, so there's nothing of me. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to be able to play it as well as a sequencer. You might as well have a sequencer yeah, because yeah, sure, sure. It, it's there's nothing. You know right? exactly what you want. Yeah, and it doesn't yeah. sound like me. I said yeah. if you've got a section where I could write a bassline for you, you're getting more value for money. Yeah, right. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I can actually 
write something for Use you. Use your know? knowledge yeah. and your, yeah, your experience. So, so I don't really, I, I don't love that, you know. So I like a little bit of, you know, uh, a bit more interpretive. Room, room to stuff. be creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And um, so I guess Virgil's band was really fun. You know, we toured Australia. We did the drum festival, the International Drummers Festival there. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. headlined it. And again, we flew in. I was sick as a dog. It was like a 15-hour flight, brutal cold, 8 a.m. sound check. So you had three hours, to the, and you're just yeah, so turned yeah, around, yeah. like swollen glands and charts like this, you know, and, and there's video camera, and you're like reading just the Dead Sea Scroll and feeling like <laughs> death, like a plague victim, you know. But anyway, Steve Wine got on keys too. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, it was got amazing time, you know. So it was a great experience just from playing with those guys and Tony, you know, Tony McAlpine, who we were talking about earlier, who's, yeah. who's phenomenal. And, uh, and a great hang, too. You know, Tony's a very funny, laid-back guy, you know, um, and likes Guinness, which is cool. So really? We bought, yeah. Totally. We'd be out in Fantastic. Greece and we'd all, Australia, and we're like, we've got to find some Guinness, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then we went out again the following year, or maybe even the same year to Australia, but with this, this super trio, which is Mitch Foreman and me and right, Virgil, yeah, yeah. which I was saying, that was really fun because... It was a little more open and jazz oriented. And somewhere there's some footage a guy took, an Australian TV company came down on the show at the basement, which is like Ronnie Scott's in Sydney. Yeah. Have, have you been there? Have you been to Sydney? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah have yeah, you been yeah. to the basement? Have you ever been to the, go to no, the No, no. So it it no. is literally kind of like the Ronnie Scott's right, of Sydney. okay, you know? yeah. And they were having these riots as well at the time. It was like those beach riots, oh, right? Yeah, and it was remember, dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, one guy got stabbed dangerous. by the club, yeah. outside the club. And so it was kind of an intense time. And and I remember this TV company came down to do a little news documentary on Virgil. And I don't think it ever aired or I could never get the footage. But we were at such a, you know, at the end of a two-week tour, you, you know, we were on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was yeah. really exciting. It was yeah. like we were playing crazy shit, you know. And Mitch was just slaying it, you know. And, and it was like I was trying to bring in the influences from, like, the stuff I loved, which was like Ultramarine, like with Etienne, yeah. and Zawinul Syndicate. So I was, in some of the vamp sections, I was thinking more like that. And but, I know with yeah, Mitch's yeah. sensibility, we were kind of, and then Virgil was kind of meeting us with his thing. So it wasn't like prog rock. It was, it, it was, was a the complete best. melting I, pot. Of, and yeah. I, I, I keep, every year or two, I'll, I'll hit Virgil up and go, you should get we the should super do that. trio yeah, together. We should do that. And, yeah. and, you know, he's super busy and he, he has another, tri- you know, he's got always got many projects. Yeah. But when we played at the Potato, Justin, you know, who, who's Don Randy's son, who runs the club. Yeah. He, you know, that, he was like, man, you, you got to record that band. And we never could quite coordinate it, you know. And, it, and yeah, it, yeah. it's one of my biggest regrets out of all the bands I've done in the last 10 years. That, that was, it, it, it was amazing. It was the a one couple of gigs. You'd it, want it to was staggering what happened. And I feel sad that we never got it done because there's like some YouTube stuff, little lo-fi clips I put up, which is still some cool stuff. Yeah. But what, as a trio, as a band, it was it was it was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and trios know? are great to play with because there's just so much room. Yeah. And, you know, I think yeah. bass players, we all love bass players. All love trios, yeah. right? Because it just gives you yeah it, a it lot is, of creative yeah, room. There is, and and if you're with the right people, it, you never miss the fourth or fifth instrument, right? Yeah, it, it's more like the space becomes your um, ally. Yeah, and I love listening you know. to like everything from like, like the Bill Evans trio, right? Yeah, to like Wayne Cranston. Yeah, and the Police. Think about the Police. Yeah, yeah exactly. What a great, yeah, yeah. You know, I was, you know, that, and even like bands that were a four piece, but like Eyewitness, you know, with Steve Kahn, but you had the percussion rather than the harmonic instrument as yeah, the four piece. Yeah, instrument. yeah, yeah. So you had that extra rhythmic flavor, but the harmony, you know, you can hear with what Anthony's playing underneath. It's open, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then after that, 
I guess what happened, Cron- I guess because um, yes, after that, like you played with everybody in LA. <laughs> yeah, well, I was yeah, Mitch Foreman's band. We, we yeah. got a, you know Mitch's band was Smitty Smith, and then we had a trio too. These were like bands, though, that apart from some YouTube stuff, which is nice actually. There's some nice things, but there's no albums. That's a set. You know, the recording thing is kind of the whole industry has gone down. You you know that yourself. It's, yeah. So much of this stuff was like live gigs. It's, that, just, that have, it's confusing. You know. I would say that, you know, what's the industry right now for music? Confusing. Yeah. And unless you nobody kind of, knows, you yeah. really know what to do. Yeah. But, and trying to get the projects together and fund them. And then it's even like, well, is it worth it? Because it's just a labor of love. And I don't know. So, you know, there was so many things. Mitch's thing was good. And then um, the other thing I guess was great was I did some gigs. I subbed for um, Jimmy Earl on Scott Kinsey's thing. Oh, so yeah, I went out yeah. on the road just for a few gigs, but it was basically tribal tech but with me and it was you yeah. know Kinsey Willis and Kirk which is a trip it was a lot of fun yeah and uh and were you into tribal tech anyway before yeah yeah, uh, yeah. you, you know I, I loved I loved all that shit you know yeah. tribal tech weather report Mahavishnu yeah. never returned to forever though I don't know why but whatever yeah. so you know I definitely more I don't know I think it was like the there's something about the the writing of those bands you know there was yeah. something more appealed to me you know it felt less keyboard centric you know something yeah, 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 felt yeah, like yeah, 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 I don't know yeah. and I love Chick stuff but I love Chick's more I, I love the stuff he did either like with Roy Haynes and Miroslav or then the early electric band yeah to yeah, me yeah, was like yeah. before Fusion became a dirty word in the late 80s you know yeah, what I mean before, right? before they did Fusion music yeah. videos and be- which yes. did happen yeah yeah. there's a fantastic one actually with Scott Henderson where it's yeah, Cheek's got the Keita. Oh yes, Scott's got yeah. spandex yeah. on. You yeah. know, yeah. I miss those days. You know, <laughs> no, that no, but it is, but it is. It, it's a playing though on that, right? I mean, yeah, do, yeah. I, yeah, no. I but mean, it was there. There were great records. They, though, they, you know? The playing was so good, you know. But anyway, so yeah, so I guess that, and then so I did those few gigs, and then another friend of mine, a drummer uh, called Andy Sinisi, who's a great player out here. He um he booked these gigs trios with Scott and me and, and we kind of hit it off and Scott's you know fairly particular about you know he likes play with certain people you know yeah. and so we kind of I guess we kind of bonded on that and we ended up doing a, for about five years we had a trio and then we'd augment it with Mitch on keys and you know Scott has that blues project which Travis Carlton does a lot yes um, but this was different this was like the the Wayne Shorter and Weather Report kind of repertoire yeah so yeah. we'd be doing like fee fi fo fun and and then we do stuff like uh, elegant people and Havona, you know. Yeah, and, and that yeah. was just fun. And there's a little bit of us on YouTube, but not much. But there's some stuff, and that was really great to do. And people loved that. I know people loved that band because it yeah, was just yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. But I know Scott's head is more into the blues thing, you know. Um, but it was it was definitely that was a really good group, you know. And then. Um, yeah, you know, and then there's just been sort of a ton of other. It, it's there's so many people to play with. You'll do one gig like play with Gary Novak and Brandon Fields and Mitch. And we played yeah, with Potato, yeah. you know, uh, and then the next gig it's all different people. Yeah, you know, like you. Is there kind of sort of like a really good sort of like tight knit collective of guys down here? Because I, like when I see when yeah. I see you playing, play I'll be like, oh yeah, that's that guy. And then there'll be another guy, and they, oh yeah, he was the same guy. Yeah. So is it sort of like very, it, it, you know, it, connected? It, yeah, it is, and it seems like there'll be a set band for a few months, and then it'll change. You know what I mean? Like Mitch, we had a band with Mitch with Mike Miller on guitar. You know, it was a yeah, second guitarist yeah. in the electric band, and played with Zapper, and he's a genius guitar player. Yeah. Smitty Smith was on drums. Manyungo on, yeah, on yeah, you know, yeah, percussion yeah. plays with Stevie and all that, and just great guy and funny as hell. So that would be like the band, and, and Brandon is someone who's on sax. 
And then that stayed for about six months. And plus, yeah. then we had a trio. And then it changed. You know, before that, I think it was sometimes Jimmy Earl on bass or whoever, and it was Novak on drums. You know what I mean? And then it was Chad Wackerman or whatever. And now Mitch is doing an acoustic thing with a great drummer called Steve Haas, who I play with. Actually, I'm playing with on Saturday. Oh, and, um, yeah. But then Mitch just actually called me, and I can't because I'm out of town. I'm with Down at the Bone. But he was like, hey, do you want to do this club in Ventura with Haas and me? And, and I was just like, of course. Of course, you know, yeah. but I can't, you know, yeah, yeah, double yeah, book. Yeah, but yeah. so it, it's kind of like you'll be in a band for a while and then it'll shift. And it's not because yeah. anyone fucked up. It's just because yeah. there's People a lot of players. Yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. like I was with Virgil probably longer than any other. I mean, with Planet X for four years or something. And they went through a lot of keyboard players. It was Steve really? Weingart, yeah, yeah. Mitch Foreman, Jeff Babco, Matt Rohde did it. Wow. You know, and guitarist was TJ Helmerick. Alex Mahachek and then Charles Altura just yeah, when yeah, I yeah. left. And, you know, it's just, you kind of do your time. It's almost like a boot camp. You know, you do your time in yeah, the band, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's time to move on yeah, and do, do yeah, stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and I, I'm extremely grateful, especially to Virgil, because he's such a, you know, I was telling, um, I was saying, yeah, uh, Scott, um, are we good? I was telling, um, Scott, earlier before we started filming, like, like you know the um, the whole thing about uh, just playing with these guys. But I don't know. I I think probably like like with Virgil, you know, he's such a great piano player, you know, as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That yeah. you know, uh, just just watching that level of musicianship kind of inspires you. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a serious player, man. He's a serious. Yeah. Player. What bass did he use in Planet X? Or or, or was it a? But lots of different bases. God, what was it? I was you, with Ibanez. It was yeah, an Ibanez. Yeah. Because when, when I first started following you, I think it was Ken Smith, I think. Was yeah, it? I had a Ken Smith, yeah. um, which is now in Sweden, I think. I sold it a guy in Sweden. Yeah, I'm telling you, we've got to start that app, you know, the base following app. We yeah, talk, well, yeah, We were yeah. talking <laughs> earlier about developing an app that follows people's bases the as base, they sell yeah. them. Yeah, 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 the yeah base so like that car them. jack, low jack yeah, of the yeah, base, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so you on the Smith. Yeah, I was on the then... Ken Smith, and then I, I, I just got so freaked out about traveling with it because people were trying to make me check it. And you, you were know. a six-string guy I at was, that point for a, yeah, for a long time. Yeah, from that right? overwater in 1989, 1990. Then I bought the Smith in 1990. Who inspired was, you to do the six-string thing? Uh, was it like Anthony Jackson? It was Anthony and, and yeah. Patitucci, right, yeah, those yeah, two yeah. guys. Not just Patitucci, not just, just both of them. You know, yeah. Anthony for the bass shit yeah. and Patitucci for the upper register yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so I went... Yeah, so you're right. So I guess it was like I played it for about 14 years straight. And then in late 2004, after the first Planet X drum, I, I cannot travel with the Smith. Yeah. And Joel Rosenblatt was with Tama Drums, which is also Ibanez's Hoshino. It's the parent oh, Okay, right, yeah. So he mentioned me to Hoshino, and they, they didn't want to know at first that when I was in New York. Well, they just were like, look, Maybe, but right now we're full, whatever. Yeah. You know, and then they reached out to me, I think, when I moved here. You know, it was weird. And they just were like, yeah, we want to work with you. Yeah. And so they delivered this beautiful custom fretless, which I still have, which is on that CPT. Draw that we were listening to earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to plug that shame shamelessly now. Do it, do I it. I was playing this first. This is the CPT trio with Kurt Covington from Tribal. You can get that on rufusphilpot.com. It's a bargain at it's $28. It's ferocious. No, it's good, right? You liked it's it, It's right? ferocious. You liked it. It's ferocious, yeah. Um, but anyway, so the, the Ibanez is all over that. And they yeah. made me this fretless. And uh, it is a great bass. And it's kind of like a Willis bass, but yeah. it's got a Nordstrand pickup in it, like a, a fat stack, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Carrie 
built this beautiful wooden case, like some of the Federas have, you know. But he, yeah, he didn't yeah. really do that for anyone. But he came to the gig and he wired it at the potato, I think, one day. Really? He's wiring it on the bar and he puts it in for me. And I used Fantastic. it on the, on the Captain Kirk on that CPT thing. And, um, but anyway, yeah, so, so I was with Ibanez. They hooked me up with that. I was with them for years and it was great. But the only thing was they made really good fretlesses for me, but we could never... I was going out with the road gear, you know, those cheap ones? Yeah, yeah, And they're yeah, like yeah. six, seven hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, there's some stuff of me actually playing with Virgil, like a clinic from Australia online. And um, I think a bit of that... Yeah, you can find that online. And, yeah. Uh, and it's a red or like black current. It's a $600 bass. Yeah. Stock. What you was know. it killing? Yeah. It, for the money, it was insane. It had this really good neck. It was one of those basses that, you know, those basses that feel like they're a short scale, even though they're regular though scale, they're regular. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they just kind of, you're like, how does this, you know, do tend to have really nice necks. Really small, right, comfortable, right? Real, yeah. Sort of like thin front yeah. to back. Yeah, you know, and it was easy wide. to play. And, and I'm playing this difficult music, so I'm like, I need a bass that's easy to yeah, play, yeah. you know? And plus, if it did get destroyed, it's a $600 base, not a $4,000 base, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was, you know, they were great. And, you know, they ran some great ads. I think that the, the pitch you used was from an old Ibanez. Yeah, ad, it was. Like yeah, right? it was. Yeah. And, which was actually shot in a, a regional airport. And they had to Photoshop all the jets in, by the way. There was nothing behind really? me. Really? It's like oh, 6 a.m., nothing there. <laughs> we could have shot it in an office building. It was, a, there's nothing behind yeah, me. You know? yeah. So, anyway, so I think I was with Ibanez about. Four years, and we designed these bases, but they would never, they would never market them because they were so expensive. They're like, if we market your base, yeah. it's going to be two thousand dollars more than Gary's. And I'm wow. like, it was literally a seven. And his was base. really expensive. His is like six grand now, right? Yeah. And it's just, it's a piece of ash. Yeah, that's so expensive. This was yeah. like exotic hardwoods, Macassar ebony. With the, uh, I had the, you know, like the the boat epoxy. I had the epoxy. Uh, oh thing. yeah, with the epoxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I had the Willis tuners. It was kind of an amazing base. You know, I'll show you later. And, the tuners um, are fantastic. You know, Willis came up with that. Yes, I know he did. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's some sort of tech genius. Yes, yeah. no, yeah, he yeah. totally. And, and they are. And they're so lightweight too. You know, and the ramp is obviously great. And I had a Perspex ramp at one point. Oh right, yeah, yeah. So you could see through into the grain of the wood, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and anyway, so. It was cool. And then for a minute, I was with Carvin basses too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they made a really good jazz-style bass, which was great, actually, I've got to say, to travel with. But, it, you know, it was just, they were, they're such a big company. And it's really like, you know, it's... It, they're, yeah, they're huge. So it's hard sometimes when your artist guy is slammed and you're trying to get something done. You yeah, know, and you're yeah, like, dude, yeah. I need this. I was like, oh, you know, it's going to take two weeks. And I guess too long, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um I went from them, and then eventually, you know, I'd met the guys at Exotic, and uh, they're locals. They have an office here. Yeah. And they, you know, they're really good at when you want modifications done, you can get it done within a matter of two or three days, right, you know. Okay. You should check that, check them yeah. out online, guys, as well, because Rufus has got some great videos. He's recently done some yes. great videos, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they're going to be putting more up because we did a whole exotic base day, but um, this is the exotic one, which, can I get up? Yeah, yes. yeah, go for it, yeah. This is... Um, show you guys this one this is pretty cool this is um this is the um this is the custom one that uh um i love the color yeah they, they hadn't made this color of base um before i think they had they're like a lot of solid colors but nothing this vintage so we changed a couple of things we got aguilar pickups in this one right okay. which are kick ass and we went through a lot of brands I love this thing. Yeah, isn't this beautiful? Like the way yeah. they carved the way. And this is like a total, their signature thing, you know. So we have this, and then, here, you know what I'll do? Let me just turn this off for a second, and I'll see if we can plug this in. 
you guys can hear a little bit. And it's very different. You know, obviously, this this is the Moulon, which is another great axe, too, yeah. which I love. And this is, you know... Are these, they very different bases, these? Yeah, this is, like, passive and very old school, which is great for certain gigs. And then for other gigs, the exotic is great. The, the, you know, it's obviously got a way more... You know, you've got an active preamp, uh, so... You can hear immediately, you know, it's got a lot more yeah. beef, you know. And you, can, I tend to have it very, uh, it's just a, a different sound and different vibe, but. Oh, uh, here we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's got yeah. a it different venue, like actually, you know. But it's, it's, it's got, got a, a jazz yeah, vibe it, to it, it, even though it's active. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And, you know. Like a, it's that burp, isn't it? The jazz burp. It, it, yeah, it totally does, and they're very—they sustain really well. You know, uh, you know, yeah. it's just a. It's, it's, it's a yeah. really nice Beautiful. sort of, you know, ringing kind of vibe. And again, you know, obviously you've got, I don't know, they just, they, they both have their own character. And, um, you know, one of the things I love is just, you know, for certain gigs, you want to bring us, I did a recording with this eight-piece band the other day that I'm playing with uh, Tomorrow Night Generator, that yeah. band, right? Uh, and I that'll be out soon, those videos. And I use this bass just because, you know, it was like there was a ton of stuff on it and I had a solo feature on it. And I was just, it's a very easy bass to play because yeah. it's narrow. You know, you can see this little bigger here a little fancy yeah so this is kind of good for some of that old school stuff you know yeah. what i mean like it's a skankier kind of vibe yeah, to it yeah, this yeah. is definitely a little more hi-fi but it's still not too hi-fi you know like yeah. I, I i'm not a fan of the um the sort of smooth jazz bass sound you know what i mean yeah. right the you know sorry, yeah, sorry. the one that yeah you can hear this has enough definition but it's more like from the mid the, the, i think the mid you know there's enough definition there without me having that sort of brutal top end. Do you generally have the tone rolled off? Tone is pretty much rolled off on yeah. this. I tend to, you know, um, just because, yeah, it's, it, it, it tends to be a little bit of mid-boost, maybe some bass boost. Uh, yeah. That's the, that's the sound of the times really now, isn't it? There's, a, you know, people yeah. are rolling off to getting rid of the top end. Yeah. You, we've you moved away from the 80s. Yeah. No, I, I think we have, you know, it's kind of like, you know, even though it is active, I kind of still want it to sound passive. And actually, the default setting on this bass is passive on my one. Right, so you okay. actually pull it for active on the regular oh, really? exotics. It's the okay. other way around. It's the other yeah. way around. Yeah. So do you regularly play it passive? Is that if passive? I can, I mean, yeah. it's a little quiet, obviously, right now, but to me, that's a better sound, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It just, it's got that sweeter thing. Once you add the, you know, if I take the, see, this is kind of flat, but it's still, you know, it's more, it's it, more high you, you can kind it of tell there's more. a preamp yeah, in there, right? It, yeah, but you yeah. get it on passive, it's sweeter, isn't it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, much yeah, nicer yeah, yeah, to yeah, me, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I even said I this. you can hear more of the woodiness. Yeah, you definitely can. And it's like, you know, when I did the, the little, um, the workshop for exotic, you know, I spoke about this and I said, you know, to all the guys there, I was like, look, it's only my opinion, but I just think that passive thing translates very well. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recordings yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, triggering pedals too, effects pedals. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Someone's oh, passive. Yeah, yeah. Works all the time. Yeah. How yeah. does your bass? You, you know, the jazz bass is is that? Is it both or passive. is it's passive? Okay, it's passive. Yeah. yeah, it's passive. Yeah, and the P bass right is obviously passive. Yeah. And that's and the Moulin's passive, right? Yeah, this is passive with um, this. Basically, just has a volume and a tone, volume and a tone. You know, so it's super lo-fi. You know, and, and the the only thing I think is, I mean, and the exotic has this, which is great, is. Um, the uh, the the ability to go into full passive mode because if you are on a gig and the battery dies, you know, and I it, yeah, if you can't switch to passive, you know what I mean. It's yeah. like, and I actually we've all, we've all been there at one point. Yeah, I, I I had that with that early six from Chris actually yeah. that it, it was malfunctioning on a gig, the the battery, and it was Salif yeah. Keita, you know him, the yeah, 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 he was in the audience because David Higgins was playing with right, him, and okay, I yeah. had to stand completely still because if I moved, it would short out. Yeah, yeah. So I spent an hour being immobile on the gig, literally <laughs> playing, not not be, I'm not kidding, and it was brutal. I was sweating yeah, yeah, blood. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome man, guys. I just want to say massive thanks to you, Rufus. Where do Thank people you find you? Where do people find um, you? Okay, so the. The easiest and the newest website is just rufusphilpot.com, R-U-F-U-S-P-H-I-L-P-O-T, rufusphilpot.com. Um, you can buy the CD from there as a download. You can order it. Um, I've got an instructional video, like intermediate level, which you can download. Um, you can hit me up. There's information to email me if you want to get you lessons. Skype lessons and yeah, stuff like that. I, I, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I've been getting students from kind of all over the world so it's kind of it works wherever anyone is you know um and uh, obviously sometimes thanks to scott you know i'm doing the seminars too which is which has actually been really fun um so yeah so there's that if you're in la i'm usually playing here you know a bunch with different bands and i might be in england we might be doing something with um bass direct yeah mark, mark. yeah yeah, 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 I know, mark. yeah, yeah. so we're trying to decide i was talking with joe about this too about maybe doing something but my feeling is Christmas is probably a bad time to be over for that stuff, isn't it? Isn't it kind of quiet? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I spoke to Lawrence, who um, I was like, oh, you know, maybe we should do something, you know. And then we looked at the dates, and I was just like, I'm not sure it's going to be. Yeah, happen. maybe yeah. maybe February I might be over, so yeah. But yeah, but we should definitely hook something up for that. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, guys, awesome. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Rufus, Thanks, for guys. being so bloody awesome. Awesome. Thank dude. you, mate. Wow, okay, I really enjoyed listening to that again. Um, hopefully you enjoyed this episode as well. I think Rufus is just such a killer guy, super honest, really open about, you know, learning the bass. So if you want to check out any of the links for Rufus's website or his Facebook page or the basses that he plays, just go and check out the show notes at scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode 11 and I've linked them all up for you there. Now remember, if you're an Academy member, you could also watch the entire video episode of that podcast. And if you're not an Academy member, go over and check it out at scottsbasslessons.com. In a nutshell, it's the best online learning platform for bass players in the world with step-by-step courses, live seminars every week. It's the full shebang. The shebang? Is that a word? The full, yeah, shebang, we can use that. And on top of that, there's a 14-day free trial as well, so you can check out the entire thing risk-free and see if it's for you. Now, just before I go, I want to say thanks again for listening today, guys. Next week, we've got another amazing guest and somebody who I've been checking out for years and listening to. Wow, I can't... I can't remember actually when I first heard him. Anyway, the guy um, who is on with us next week is the amazing Sean Hurley. Now, if you haven't heard of Sean before, he's played and recorded with artists such as Robin Thicke, um, Alicia Keys, and he actually got the gear after Pino Palladino um, left the trio. 
um, playing with the John Mayer trio. Um, Sean Hurley got that gig as well. And the interview next week, Sean shares some really, really great insights into into how he got those great gigs. And I'm, I'm not going to share too much. I want you to check it out next week. So let's leave it at that. Um, I'll leave you uh, on a cliffhanger. So other than that, guys, thanks for listening. And as always, take it easy and I'll see you in the shed. <laughs>